in the multifamily space, I went and looked back and did a little year over year comparison right before we jumped on right now. On a price per square foot basis, from Q4 of 2019 to right now, we're up 15%, which is great, right? Year and a half, 15% appreciation, that's strong. That's not the same like stratospheric, ridiculous levels that you see in the single family markets though, in a lot of parts of the country and including our area. If you go from Q end of Q1 and beginning of Q2 2020, where we are now, though, we are up 30%. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Anthony Walker from Buckingham Investments. Anthony's been on the show before, and I want to bring him back because he is a specialist in real estate in Southern California. He's a broker and an investor in that area. And I wanted to get an update from him on how things have changed there because the first time that I spoke with him was maybe two or three weeks after the COVID you know, lockdowns had started to hit and we were still figuring out what was gonna happen. And nobody really knew whether, frankly, prices were gonna continue to rise or fall or really what was gonna happen. What's gonna happen with tenants? Are they gonna be able to pay their rent? And all these big questions we didn't know at the time. And now we have the benefit of hindsight that we can learn from. So we got Anthony back on the show to learn how things have changed, what happened with eviction moratoriums or moratoria there in Southern California, what was put in place, how did landlords deal with that, what has happened with you know migration in and out of Southern California, because we hear so much about you know companies moving out of Southern California, but is it maybe like overblown, how things changed there, what's happened with prices and inventory, Really fascinating conversation. We learn so much from Anthony and his exposure to that market in this interview. We've seen a lot of these effects around the country. These impacts are mirrored in many markets, maybe like yours, certainly like my area here in Virginia. We've seen a lot of these similar impacts, just maybe different magnitude in this area, but a lot of these trends are, are roughly the same. And it's really interesting to hear Anthony's perspective there in uh, Southern California, how things have changed and what things are looking like for the future. So really interesting conversation. Great to have him back on the show and you're gonna learn so much. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. That shows others and that shows me that you're learning something from the show and that gives them a reason to tune in. So we certainly appreciate you going and doing that. No matter what podcast app you use, please do take a second, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button, and that way you'll catch every new episode straight on your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. As I record this, we actually just sold off one of the properties uh, that we've owned for the past couple of years in the Texas Panhandle. Really excited to have that done and to be moving on to the next one. And it's great to be learning about other markets. I don't see myself maybe investing in Southern California in the future. We'll see. But uh, it's definitely interesting to learn about that market. And I know we have a number of listeners out there from California who want to get an update on what's happened in their state and in their area. So that's what you're going to get today from Anthony Walker. Thank you for tuning in. Without any further ado, here we go. Anthony, thank you for joining us coming back on the show. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here, Taylor. 
It's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to learning what's changed in your world as a result of COVID. I have a very specialized market that I think folks are really interested in hearing what's happened. For our listeners who didn't catch your original interview on the show, can you tell us about you know, yourself and what you do? And then we'll you know dive into uh, the update. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, like like most areas, lots of changes in the last year and a half. This would be a really interesting timing. I think the first time I came on was actually in March of 2020, something like that, right when it all broke out. So yeah, if you didn't see my previous episode, my name is Anthony Walker. I'm the CEO and managing broker of a Los Angeles area multifamily investment brokerage company by the name of Buckingham Investments. We help individuals, small partnerships, syndicators, Makes sense investing mostly in apartment buildings right here in the Southern California market, which is, I know, going against the grain for a lot of people that are in this space. So it's always an interesting conversation to come on these things. I've been doing this myself now for about 12 years, and um, I invest individually too. So I own a portfolio of apartments. I'm up to about 120 units personally right here in our area. I have a lot in Long Beach but spread throughout the greater South Bay of the LA area. We do business all over LA County and some in Orange County as well. Our company does probably about 150 to 200 million a year in sales. And that's mostly from everywhere from individual investors getting started buying a duplex owner occupying house hacking up to, you know, syndicators or, you know, higher net worth people that are buying, you know, 20, 30 unit properties, that type of things, doing exchanges, and all of that jazz. So, you know, we're, we're in it. Um, everyone here at the company is an investor as well as a broker. So we've experienced what it's like to be an owner over the last 18 months, what's happened to the market. We also do our own local market research. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that and what's happened here locally in, in the property markets. It's, it's been a rat. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it is crazy to think back about when we recorded that interview, we were just getting hit with, you know, all the lockdowns and everything we were starting to figure out what's going to happen with, I don't even remember if eviction moratoriums were on the table at that point or not, but you know, they were certainly coming. And that kind of leads me to one of my biggest questions is, okay, so California and New York and, you know, a few of these areas are, we're already unfriendly to landlords and then add on, you can't evict people who haven't paid for little did we know, you know, a year and a half or longer. I don't know if, whether that's, carrying on there. I mean, what happened there? How bad of an impact was it? How did you deal with it? And what do you think moving forward? Well, it's been a moving target here, you know, all along, right? As with pretty much everything with the pandemic, right? When it first broke out, we all thought, oh yeah, in three weeks, we're going to be back to life after these little lockdowns. Slow the spread, yeah, okay. Yeah, it'll be fine. Don't worry, guys. Obviously that didn't happen and and we got the eviction moratoria and all this stuff. So yeah, I mean, California is a very tenant-friendly state. We uh, definitely have eviction moratoria that were put in place at the state level, as well as a variety of different programs at the different city levels too. So depending on what city you're investing in here, the rules are different. Today's well-timed because the state level eviction moratorium here in California expires today. This is the last day. So um, good timing for our interview. uh, It's been extended, I think, Three, t- two or three times initially, you know, just as we continue to see what was happening in the health situation. And so, you know, the rule was 
the tenants had to claim financial hardship as a result of COVID. They had to pay 25% of the contract rent in order to qualify for that. So they did have to pay something. And then the you could not evict them in, or file for eviction until the moratorium was over. And then at that point, any rent during that covered period would be relegated to consumer debt. So you could still pursue them through the regular collections process, like a credit card bill or something like that, but you couldn't use it as a basis for an unlawful detainer action and any, any victim. But starting tomorrow, if October rent is not paid, you can file eviction. Now that went hand in hand. Everyone freaked out, of course, at first when that when that came out, everyone was very worried. Uh, understandably so, there was tons of uncertainty about whether tenants were going to be able to pay rent. You know, there was mortgage forbearance available too. So the the thought was, I think, from the powers that be, is that you know we can trickle everything up. We give the tenants relief. We give the landlords relief. You know, there were some funds available through the idle loans from the SBA. If you had an active income business, you could get PPP funding, but that generally didn't really apply to you know, uh, rental property owners. But along the way, then there also became, you know, federal funds available for rent relief too. So at the beginning, we had a couple state Senate bills that as part of the eviction moratorium established how landlords would be made whole. And so you could get 80% of rent that was unpaid from the government and the landlord would basically apply in conjunction with the tenants. And then that would be paid directly to the landlords. Um, once they passed, you know, kind of the re-up of the stimulus package, then that became 100%. So currently, if the tenants apply and the landlords, you know, cooperate with them, or rather the tenants cooperate with the landlord, you can get 100% of that unpaid rent delivered to you from the government. So that's pretty great. Tenants have really not been displaced. It's been impossible, you know, to evict people. But at the same time, uh, landlords are being made whole, but there's a long delay there. So you know, you may apply and it may be a couple of months before you get your check. And then if the tenant continues to not pay, you have to apply again and so on and so forth. So, you know, the net effect of that was that everything kind of just was status quo really for almost the entire last year and a half. There were a surprisingly few number of tenants on a percentage basis that just decided to take advantage of that, whether they were really considered, whether they were really experiencing financial hardship or not you know, we may never know, you know, in our property management partners, I would say somewhere along the 5% range, maybe 10% range of at any given time of tenants were claiming hardship and not paying some of the rent. We had been tracking collections through that portfolio through basically every month of the pandemic. And we never got below 93% collections in any given month, no matter where the different, you know, Senate bills or eviction moratoria or packages were going, it never got that bad. So that wave of foreclosures everybody was predicting at the beginning from landlords that weren't going to be able to make their mortgage payments certainly never materialized. And honestly, the level of distress in the tenants was pretty isolated for the most part. It went surprisingly well, even without considering relief funds from the government and stuff like that. So now that we're kind of at the end of this, you know, these relief checks are coming in. People by and large have done okay. We've had a handful of clients that have, you know, taken advantage of mortgage forbearance and that's worked out, although that can definitely impact you down the line, even though it's not supposed to, uh, you know, with refinances and new debt, it, it can. And so it's, it's been weird, but I think all things considered, if you 
you know, told me at the beginning that this is where we would be. We, we escaped pretty unscathed. Well, that's good. We definitely had some tenants, um, whether they were taking advantage or not, or experiencing hardship. I'm sure some of them genuinely were experiencing that hardship and, you know, some were probably taking advantage, right? It's going to be a mix, but I wonder about that. You mentioned that there was a 25% that they, the tenant had to pay in order to qualify, but like, I mean, in a lot of areas, courts weren't even considering eviction cases for a really long time and they already had a backlog and all of that. Was there any recourse, even if they didn't pay that 25%, like in, in a real world, practical, you know, sense? It was difficult. Yeah, the courts got really jammed up. People were trying to get cases through that had started pre-pandemic. Everything went to Zoom. You know, their calendars got all extended. But there were a few cases where, you know, we got there. I actually had one tenant in one of my buildings that didn't pay anything for basically 10 months. And they got, we filed the paperwork, they went to the hearing and they didn't respond and they lost and they were going to be evicted. And finally they came back to us at the 11th hour and said, wait, 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 we'll pay everything and go completely current if we can stay in our unit. And wow. Of course, you know, I agreed to do that. So it did, it did end up working. It took forever. It took a really long time, but it turns out that, you know, putting your head in the sand is not an effective method. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No matter, no matter what it is. So one of the things you mentioned was that the wave of foreclosures that many, I would say probably myself included, many of us really expected to happen, whether it was mom and pop landlords that couldn't make their bills because they can't last 10 months with unpaid rent, even if it's coming on the back end, they need that money coming in the door to, to make sure the bills are paid or, you know, the, the say eviction wave that was, you know, forecast that isn't going to happen either. But that kind of leads to a conversation about the overall inventory and available, say, properties or units or, or single families or whatever available for purchase in the market. Just say in my area and in, in Richmond, Virginia, inventory is still really low. There's not a lot out there available to buy. And when stuff goes on the market, man, it's purchased right away for pretty attractive pricing for the seller's point of view. How about, you know, in, in Southern California, how's the situation there with, you know, available inventory and sales? What are you seeing? Very similar. So, you know, it's an interesting case study a little bit. I went and unpacked our research for the last 18 months or so and looked back just to the end of 2019 to get a sense of, of where we've come. And inventory is very low. Inventory is, is ridiculously low right now. If you go and <laughs> open up the MLS, LoopNet, CoStar, wherever you get your deals from, there are very few properties to choose from. I think right now, you know, I like looking at Long Beach. If you look at five and up available listings in Long Beach, I think today there were like 18 of them available, which is a pretty big city. There should be like 50. And <laughs> <laughs> so it's really tight. On the other hand, though, when I look at the sales volume charts, we are way above 2019 quarterly sales transactions here in 2021. So it's an interesting story. There's a ton of demand and there's not very much inventory, but there is enough demand that it, what's happening is as things come on the market, it just gets snapped up super fast. So at any given day, if you open up the market and look, there's not much to see, but that doesn't mean that there's not transactions happening. There's a lot of stuff that's just selling and coming off the market almost immediately in the first week. There's a lot of stuff that is trading off market, of course. And as a result, I think you know when I look at our kind of localized market here, we had somewhere in the low 200s per quarter in transaction volume at the end of 2019. And we're in, we're in the 300s right now in 2021. Wow. So it's way up, but inventory is really low. So to your point, it's definitely a seller's market. 
Prices are up considerably. The single family market here is absolutely nuts. Everybody wants a place and, uh, you know, it's, it's super expensive. Interest rates are, you know, at all times low, all time lows. So that's definitely stoking those flames in the multifamily space. I went and looked back and did a little year over year comparison right before we jumped on right now on a price per square foot basis from Q4 of 2019 to right now, we're up 15%, which is great, right? Year and a half, Mm -hmm. 15% appreciation. That's strong. That's not the same like stratospheric ridiculous levels that you see in the single family markets though, in a lot of parts of the country and including our area. If you go from Q end of Q1 and beginning of Q2 2020, where we are now, though, we are up 30%. So what happened is you had this deep V right there at the beginning of the pandemic where everybody freaked out. There was a lot of uncertainty. You had a little bit of panic selling going on. Anecdotally speaking, I could say as, as a you know participant in the market here, there was probably about six to eight weeks where new contracts were being made at an extreme discount when people were really afraid and there was just a couple of deals to be had at that time there were a lot of lenders that had gotten up from the table too though so you know looking backwards we might look and think oh i really just missed my opportunity but the reality is it was tough to get deals done even when we we got a few done during that time period and you know at very attractive prices for the buyers but the financing options were were tricky then obviously that came back, you know, aggressively rates went down into the threes or even the twos in the residential space. And, you know, there's so much cheap, easy money out there that, you know, <laughs> the, the predictable thing has played out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I, in my opinion, I, I've spoken about this before. That I think is one of the advantages of real estate is the relative illiquidity. You know, the market sucks. Things are going, you know, very poorly. It looks like there's a bleak outlook, but we don't have the ability to click three buttons and liquidate our entire portfolios at a loss like we could with any you know Wall Street products where we can sell immediately because at least in that case and in many cases, that initial panic, it ends up not being quite as bad right. as you know we think it could be. And here we are, we're much higher than we were back then during that initial you know period where everybody was afraid. I say that all the time. Yeah, forcing you to sit back and calm down for a minute because you can't take quick action with real estate has probably done a lot of people, a lot of favors over the years. I totally agree. I mean, you're, there's very few crashes, you know, 2008, obviously the outlier where, you know, you could really make a case for selling high and buying low and have had that work out. I think if you unpack the math and you consider the tax consequences of selling and then getting back in it, like, it's just, it's a great long-term game. And I think it's a testament to how resilient the United States real estate market is in general and how comfortable we can be as investors that if you don't over leverage yourself and you, you know, buy appropriately and your deals pencil that you're going to do really well over the long run. Totally. Absolutely. Now, uh, one last aspect that I wanted to touch on were those rents. I mean, we've seen rents going up in, in many markets. How about in, you know, Southern California where, Shoot, do you guys have like rent controls or any of that? I don't I don't know all the regulations there, but I would assume they probably could just continue to march on upward, maybe even faster than the actual price of the properties have gone upward. So that's definitely something to keep your eye on. Yeah, rents here have market rents for new leases are way higher now than they were in the middle of, of the you know the deeper parts of the pandemic. I've noticed this even only in the last six months it's gotten much more pronounced. We're seeing rents on new leases being signed at numbers that would have been unbelievable to me 
two years ago in 2019. And now they're, they're just crazy. So they went down a little bit right in the middle of the pandemic, right? Because nobody really knew what was happening and, but not very much. And then they started rising again. And then really just this year they, they've exploded. And I think what happened is that, you know, a lot of these policies that were put in place were designed to keep a lot of people in their homes. And they did. So, you know, people, you don't want to move in the middle of the pandemic, right? You just want to hunker down and you want to do your thing. But there are a lot of people that did want to go get some more space for themselves, have their own place, have a place where they can work from home, expand into a bigger unit, so on and so forth. There's a lot of money out there. So while you constrain the supply of rentals because you're not getting evictions and some people are choosing to stay in place, you're also creating a lot of demand for the space by people that do want to get their own place. And so that's created this, you know, super high rent growth that we're seeing in the market right now. There is rent control here in the whole state. We have a pretty mild version of it that allows annual rent increases of 5% plus the change in consumer price index. So, you know, with inflation being where it is right now, this year's increase rate is 8.6%. Next year, it might be 10. 10 is the maximum under that program. So if CPI continues to run over 5%, April to April, we're going to have a 10% allowable increase here next year, which is plenty for landlords to catch up to market. It's a pretty fair program. But, I, you know, again, city by city, that varies. So like city of Los Angeles itself is currently under an absolute rent freeze. No rent, can't increase it at all. And so nobody's moving, right? Which then locks up the existing supply and makes new rentals that much more expensive. Rent control, as it turns out, doesn't really work to make affordable <laughs> housing accessible no, to everybody. <laughs> you know, it keeps, keeps people in their houses though. So um, I suppose it's, you know, it's good for avoiding displacement. So we're definitely seeing that right now. You know, there's, there's some new build. There's not enough. It's really difficult to build new projects right now because of all the permitting and, you know, planning issues that we have going on in our cities, but combinations of, yeah, we've got eviction moratoria. There's a couple rent freezes around. There's not in a lot of the markets that we work with, but you know, the net effect of that is that you're seeing really strong rents on, on new leases. Nice. So I think the big, you know, multi-million dollar question is we've heard so much about like the, the exodus, the supposed exodus from California to Texas and other markets. Here in Virginia, we've seen folks coming up from parts of Florida and just buying up, you know, some of the nice real estate, at least in the city of Richmond, because they see I can get this awesome house in the best part of town for so much less than in, you know, Miami or whatever. So screw it. I'll do it. I'll move up to Virginia. How about out there? Are you seeing a lot of folks moving out? I mean, it sounds like there's still strong demand. So maybe there's more being made out of that trend than is really there. I think so. It's a fun headline to point at, especially for people raising funds from California investors to place in middle of the country markets. It's a really popular uh, thing to point at. If you actually look at the data, yeah, there, there is actually a fair amount of out migration happening to these other states. I personally know people that have gone and that's happened, but it's happened generally on the lower ends of the income bracket here. So to get back to our rental question, right? As renter affordability gets more and more difficult, same thing with, you know, purchase affordability for single family homes, it's tempting to go to other markets. And certainly people have done that. But, you know, we still have an incredibly strong job base here of companies that need super highly skilled, highly paid workers. And so on a net basis, like the population loss out of the LA area is very small. 
it's, you know, maybe like 50,000 people or something on a net basis. And they're kind of going like this with the lower <laughs> income brackets coming out and then the higher income people coming in. Yeah. You read headlines about companies moving operations for tax reasons and regulatory reasons. And that's, that makes sense. And you should pay attention to that. But when we see that happen locally, you know, those companies headquarters are almost immediately absorbed by, you know, major institutional investors that are redoing these campuses and leasing them out to, you know, new creative businesses and tech companies and startups and stuff like that. So it's not that you're not driving down the major streets here and seeing just vacancy after vacancy after vacancy. Certainly that's the case with, you know, a handful of restaurants and there's been some turnover in hospitality properties and, you know, stuff like that has to be expected from the pandemic. But no, I think a lot of that is overblown. And certainly, you know, being a participant here in the demand, you cannot deny that there's so much demand that it, it doesn't even matter. We, I could afford to lose quite a few more people from my market, and I'd be pretty happy to be an operator here, to be honest. That's perfectly okay with me. So it's a funny one. I think, you know, the work from home thing is maybe a little bit over-exaggerated as well. You know, we're back in the office. We took the opportunity to upgrade to a larger space. That's where I am today. I think our last interview was from my house and now I'm in our larger headquarters. We got the COVID special, right? So there's a lot of changeover happening in business tenants and in office, but it's not this apocalypse that, you know, people are thinking. Maybe Northern California is a different story. From what I've heard it is, you know, the tech companies up there are much more open to virtual work, maybe they're rethinking their footprint and their real estate needs and how expensive it is to lease class A office space and have these highly amenitized campuses. But down here in LA, you know, it's more fragmented. I think our economy is a bit more diverse as far as the industries that are represented, more smaller companies. There's some big ones here too, of course, but the, the demand is absolutely here. Nice. It's good to hear. Love it. Appreciate the update. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called GroundFloor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Anthony, as you know, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before. We've covered those questions. I've got three different, different ones for our returning guests. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right, great. First one, what is your favorite personal book? 
favorite book to read for personal reasons? I'm, I'm going to go with a fiction book, a, probably an unpopular choice on these sorts of things, but I love the book Dune. Ah, Frank great. Herbert. Yeah, yeah, such, yeah. I just, I love sci-fi, good sci-fi. I'm such a fan imagining, you know, the future and other worlds and space travel and technology is just so cool to me. So I'm really excited for the new Dune movie that's coming out too, but that's definitely my favorite personal book I've ever read. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a great one. I read that probably about 10 years ago and been meaning to circle back up. That really is uh, one of the great sci-fi books. It is. So had your favorite personal book, really, I think now we're going to get to the one that the type of answer, the type of questions you'd expect to be asked on this show. What is your favorite business book? There's so many good ones, but the, you know, the one that sticks in my head that I have to constantly think about every day as I'm working on my business is the E-Myth. Ah, yes. Just love that book. I thought the, the analogy of the pie shop just sticks with me. It's so perfect. If you can systematize and put a process in place for everything it takes to make and sell a pie, you can probably do that for any business. And so I'm, I'm constantly trying to think what I can do here with my business to automate and to write down processes and figure out what we can do to expand. I think there's so much value in that book that, you know, those concepts have been discussed in a lot of other books too, but that one really sticks in my head because of the great analogy. I agree. I think he really uh, explained it well and, and put it in our minds, I think, of how we can build systems. And, and I like to think about it as a focus on higher dollar per hour type of tasks. So we're working on the business, of the high value things. Exactly. Last question. Where is the next place you're traveling after COVID is all over and the dust kind of settles, things are back to normal? Well, um, we're going to go skiing uh, as I always like to ski in the season, but that's a pretty easy COVID trip too. So that's a cop-out answer for my wife's benefit though. We had scheduled a cruise for her 40th birthday <laughs> and I, we scheduled the cruise in, I think March or April when COVID had first broke out. We we're like, Oh, well that's in August. This will be way over by then. It'll be fine to cruise. So we had paid for a cruise for her 40th birthday in 2020. And here we are. So I owe my wife a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go do that. I don't know if we're going to do the Caribbean or the Mediterranean. We'll see about schedules, but it'd be really nice to do that again. Nice. Well, here we are approaching two years rather than two weeks to stop the spread. Approaching two years later, and you're going to need to make up to her uh, on that one. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today, coming back on the show. It's been great reconnecting with you and getting an update about Southern California real estate. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about you, know, what you can provide or any of that great kind of stuff, where can they track you down? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You can check out tons of our educational content, including some of that local market research I was talking about at buckinghaminvestments.com. Or feel free to shoot me an email personally. I'm at anthony.walker at buckinghaminvestments.com. Or you can probably find me on LinkedIn and connect that way. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for coming back on the show. It's been great talking with you once again. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll catch you here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, spreading this real estate investing knowledge from our expert guests, just like Anthony. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.